This week's podcast brought to you by Mitten Flips. The other night, since it's the season of melting meats, I made a pork recipe in the crock pot that the bottom layer had apples and onions. Anyway, um, when I was serving our son the the meat, um, I put some on his plate along with the apples and, and onions. And I said, okay, this is, this is pork tenderloin, uh, summer apples and summer onions. And uh, yes, what they were. Yeah. He said, what are these summer apples, summer onions? And, uh, and his response was, what are summer apples? And I said, no, not summer apples and winter apples. Some are apples. Some are onions. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Last week, our kids had a snow day. Martin Luther King Day was Monday, and then on Tuesday, they had a snow day. And um, first of all, it was kind of the best kind of snow day in that the schools let us know the night before that, didn't they? I think that was the one. They let us know there wasn't going to be school the next day yes. because of the forecast. And so you don't even have to, the kids don't have to wake up early to look at their phone or to find an alert that says it's been canceled. They just could sleep in. Um but it struck me because at some point, like late in the morning, I was um, going to make some banana bread and uh, and our high schoolers and even our eighth graders slept in a little bit. Um, but when the kids were little, how challenging snow days were, especially if you had sort of um, planned that that day you were going to do some work because they needed constant um, parenting. And even if it was... You know, they're going to go out and play in the snow. Either they would want us out there playing with them or it was just, you know, a parade of going outside, coming in soaking wet, then wanting to go back outside. And and how wonderful those times were, but they were also really hard as a parent versus as our kids are older. And um, I don't think they went out and played in the snow that day. They just kind of hung out. They, you know, entertained themselves. Our eighth grader actually did a FaceTime with one of her friends where they um, did an arts and crafts project together virtually. Arts and, arts and crafts? Arts and crafts. Seals and crafts. Arts and crafts. Where they were printing stuff and, and then cutting it out and just like a productive, um, productive and fun arts and crafts project. But it wasn't one that she needed me to help her with. And um, anyway, it was just, I actually texted one of my friends who has younger daughters and um you know, just said, I'm sure your day is really challenging today. Um, and how, and even how great it is when the kids are little and doing those things, but, um, just how everything changes as they're, they're getting older. It wasn't challenging to me at all. <laughs> what, when our kids were young? No, that's no, true. You would no. lock yourself in your well, office. At, well, no, what, what, where did I lock myself in on Martin Luther King day and oh, the Tuesday snow right. day? I was quarantined right. in our eighth graders bunk bed. Well, she she and I switched places, so she spent the week yes in our room, and I spent the week in her room because I I had 
wasn't feeling great, and I tested positive for COVID-19 in the pandemic. Actually, now I guess it would be COVID-24, nuns on the run, right? <laughs> uh, I still think I still think every time I say COVID-19, the pandemic. Of course. Um, but yeah, that's right. You tested positive over the weekend, and I told you, said your only job is to not give it to the rest of us. Most importantly, to not give and, it to the and, children, and, and you I, didn't. I didn't. No, you you stayed in but, that but room. But that, that was you, my that was my only job to to do for you. But I was multitasking. I was watching Columbo on my iPad. I was watching The Office, which I'd never really watched before on my iPad. You and I though watched the original Office every episode. Oh, when the it British first Office, came yeah, out. The yeah, British well, Office, of course, yeah. loved it. That's why I I years ago thought, oh, well, I could never live up to the British. Office, which and was only 12 think? episodes. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I knew for years that it was beloved and all that. Um, but at some point when there's a thousand episodes, I think, well, I'm never going to get through this. But but COVID-24- uh, Helped you get there. Yeah, helped me get there. So, so I felt lousy on Monday and better on Tuesday and tested negative, I don't know, Thursday maybe. And yet you insisted- you and our daughter insisted that we maintain my staying in her room for and she's staying in her room for, for two extra days, as it turned out. No, I, I just, as you know, it's- And, it and was, you know what? I didn't hate it either. It was, I, I, the, I, I was in the bottom of, bottom bunk of the bunk bed and the slats of the bed above me, I could I took my iPad cover and, and uh, slipped them into those slats so that the iPad would hang down. I felt like I was in the live flat cabin of a of a- of an international jumbo jet, it, uh, except I, that it was always landing where it took off from. I um, I had asked you, do you want like, you want me to help you unbunk the beds so that you don't have feel like this cage? And you said no, because the slats are perfect for me to stick my the iPad in. Um, no, again, it was not self serving. It was completely child serving. I was even wearing a mask anytime I drove the kids, even though I was. T- testing negative and I tested myself and, and our kids were negative. But I just was like, it was midterms week last week for our high schoolers. Our middle schooler also had a bunch of testing at her school. There just could not have been a worse week for um, for any of them to catch anything from you. So, um, But it was also the only week. There was a week um, that we had so many grand plans for, for our marriage because this week starts Five or six consecutive weeks of you. Six, yeah. Six consecutive weeks of you. You told me five, but I guess it's, it's six, six sorry. of you being out of town. And so this past week, when I was had COVID twenty four, the the nuns on the run, I we were going to. I mean, this was never going to happen in in real life, but we were going to get coffee at this place that you had been to that you that you yeah. liked. We were possibly going to go somewhere else to consult with somebody about something some home improvement project or something and, and and none of that was likely to happen but it certainly didn't happen um, our window and, and I said I said well when are we going to get get that coffee and you said you said uh well it won't be until March now and I said seriously and you know and you said no 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 I'm, I'm just kidding and I said no you're not kidding and it wouldn't won't be March either and it's not going to be April's not looking any better no it be the, May at the earliest the next the next 6 weeks are the hardest 6 um just in terms of I'm traveling every week um, to places that are not easy to get to, and even worse, they're hard to get home from um, in terms of just the college basketball games we have every Thursday. Um, the hardest six reminds me of a solid 15. That's our our youngest's term for, you know, if she has a late night of studying and then basketball practice or vice versa, 
and now she's not going to be done with all this stuff until 9.30 or 10. She she always extracts a promise from, from me for, quote, a solid 15. That's 15 minutes of of being done with all that stuff, being yeah. showered, pajamaed, and just 15 minutes to watch TV and uh, not have to not have to go to bed. So I, I always I always want the opposite of a solid fifteen. I go to want to go to sleep a minute after I hit the hay, with the exception 15 of seconds, maybe the exception of when I was quarantined in the other room without you, and I was like, I'm going to watch uh, a ninety minute Columbo now, starting at eleven p.m. Right, because I mean, what, all you had to do, your only job was to rest and. Stay away from us. And and it gave me insight. You know, you, sometimes you read about like you know, couples who they have separate bedrooms, or they you know one snores. Um, and and I was, I was like, well, what's what's that all about? And then I thought, it's just it's just uh, uh, some somebody you know binge watching his own stuff late at night or something. I, I I was a night owl in college, as most people are, and after college and. In high school, but uh, I, I now remember the, uh, the what I liked about it. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, the the good thing is you did your job. Everyone else is is doing well. No more COVID nineteen. The pandemic's uh, positives, at least um, in our house. And uh, and and I was I had been meaning to get boosted. I hadn't been. Um, and had been in CVS, I think, a couple of days before, and saw the signs for it, and that was mentally on my list. But, but that wasn't going to prevent you from getting it. That would have just no, of know, course. And your symptoms actually, you said you overall felt okay, yeah, right? Felt okay, yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it was uh, a permanent. You know, when your sinuses fill with histamine or whatever it is that causes you to sneeze, it, it felt, you know, for like a couple of hours on end, like I was going to sneeze. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't a pleasant feeling, as it turned out. But no. Anyway, the at least the funniest thing that happened on that snow day, because we knew there was probably snow coming. So the night before, I'd gotten some stuff to make um, a roast chicken and to try to have a nice dinner on uh, on the snow day, uh, the evening of the snow day. And at one point, our thirteen year old opened the fridge and she was looking in and said, um, "Oh, you got a mini turkey?" And I said. Uh, no, that's a chicken. <laughs> because often, if we're going to have roast chicken, we just get the ones that are already roasted at the grocery store because they're already done and they're easy and they taste really good. Um, and so, but she's used to seeing, because we cook the turkey on Thanksgiving, she's used to seeing the turkey and its wrapping and the of shape course. of it and whatever. So, oh, you got a mini turkey. <laughs> she probably thinks, understandably, that chicken comes, uh, that chicken in its natural state is shaped like little dinosaurs. <laughs> Right. The, the, the dino nuggets. Were... Right, exactly. The day I came out of quarantine, um, I was hit by uh, news of, quote, massive layoffs, as headlines have said, at Sports Illustrated. And, and the Washington Post reported the possible demise of the magazine, and that was then taken to be gospel. And um, so I was fielding a bunch of Emails, texts, uh, I think a lot of Twitter mentions and even you know media requests about about that and talk talk about you know Sports Illustrated and all that. And while I have honestly haven't a clue what goes on there, I have uh, 
no insight whatsoever. I write a, four or five stories a year for the magazine and uh, and have for, well, I mean, I had my first byline for SI 37 years ago. I'm 57, so it's something I've been doing more than almost anything else in my life. So obviously I have, you know, a huge love for uh, the magazine and, and all that, but it has been the experience of, of um, you know, Tom Sawyer eavesdropping on his own eulogy, the uh, outpouring of uh, all of it positive, but uh, it, it has been weird. So my sister says she's in Florida a couple of days ago and somebody in the restaurant, somebody that she ran into in the restaurant who she had some acquaintance with sent over a complimentary dessert or something and on the check on the back of the check had written you know uh, something nice about my writing over the years I've had people that I haven't heard from you know since grade school uh, contact me um, somebody said you know I was at the gym and saw you talking mute, muted on a muted TV about you know, Sports Illustrated um, and and it it has had the effect of you know oh is this is this what people say you know at at your funeral kind of a thing mm-hmm. and uh, so it's been an, it's been a an interesting experience not having passed away or even having stopped writing for the magazine. Well, not only not having stopped writing for the magazine, I mean you have a however many word. I've got a two thousand word story in the pipeline. Uh, that you thought was coming and, out and, in the next and, issue. And an outstanding expense report. Right. Even more related to that. Yeah. <laughs> so if the next issue comes out, uh, well, that presumably will, will be in it. Um, but uh, but as I've said to uh, many people, um, the people that I've responded to anyway, uh, you know, I've been to seven continents for Sports Illustrated. I've covered everything once and most things twice. I've been to all the far-flung places. I've been to all the near-flung places. Um, I still enjoy it. And, um, you know, there's part of the joy of it is there is always something new to, to do. But but I, of all people, can hardly claim to be shortchanged or um, have missed out on something in those 37 years. So don't cry for me, Argentina, whatever becomes of the magazine. Um, because, you know, I like the non sequitur. Um, one of the other things I got to do other than um, baking banana bread on a snow day uh, was the day before take our 15 year old son to the dentist to get a double root canal. I don't know if we've talked about how he got playing basketball. He got elbowed or shouldered or something violently um, in the mouth. And so a, a month plus ago, um, we get a call from the trainer, uh, you know, Thomas got hit in, hit in the mouth. And anyway, it was- We were sitting down to dinner five minutes after that game would have tipped off that scrimmage, that closed door scrimmage. So we knew it wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't good news. So- By the way, the, the, talking about root canal and dentistry is not a non sequitur from what I just described going on no. at, at Sports Illustrated. But anyway, carry on. True, to, to continue the, the theme of pain. Um, so anyway, he had gotten- Initially, we took him to the dentist and gotten some work done um, just to get his teeth back into their original position. Um, but 
anyway, the result was that uh, the nerves died and he needed a root canal in two of his front teeth. So um, for the first hour, I sat in the waiting room. Well, I sat in there with him while he got the um, the Novocaine, which it's no fun watching your child have needles poked all around their gums. But then I came in after that um, as they were, you know, they brought me in as they were finishing the process. And um, anyway, it was a two hour process. And, uh, and, you know, things appear to um, like they're going to be okay for him. But I'm going to use this as a public service announcement because our son has Invisalign. And my entire basketball career, high school, as soon as I got my braces off, my parents said, you will be wearing a mouth guard because we did not invest all this money in your teeth for them to have damage. So I had a mouth guard in high school. When I got to college, it was the first time I ever had a had one that the dentist made because Yukon made them for us. Um, like in high school, I just wore the ones that you would boil and put in. Got a nice one in college. And then my entire pro career, every practice, every game, I wore a sports mouth guard. So that was my plan for our son once his Invisalign were done because, you know, you change Invisalign every week or however long. And so your teeth adjust. And so, you you know, it's not really feasible to continue to get mouth guards made. So big regret of mine. I highly recommend after watching my son have our son have a double root canal that if your child plays high school sports, um, that you get a, a mouth guard made. And um, I just looked online. I found this place called Sporting Smiles. You, They send you this stuff. You mold your kid's teeth. He now has a mouth guard that's as good as one I had when I was playing professionally that the dentist made. And um, I went with just you to, highly recommend it. I went with you to the dentist in Houston to have your Houston Comets mouth guard made. Did you? Yes. And the other person in there who introduced himself, I don't, I wish I remembered his name or who he actually was, but he was uh, with, I think, the brand new Houston Texans. When the Houston Texans yeah, joined the NFL, started yes. There. Yeah. So he it was a Houston Texans player getting his mouth guard made. Wow, I still have. Guess I looked in my our drawer. I was looking for something in the bathroom drawer. I found the case. I have that mouth guard. Um, unless I have one of my mouth guards that I wore when I was um, playing professionally. But anyway, highly, highly, highly recommend going online, whether it's Sporting Smiles or one of the other places, spending, you know, it's like $80 or something, and get your child a mouth guard um, because, ugh, I, I would not want to have, have him have that happen again. Can I just say that whenever I hear the word Invisalign, which is pretty often these days, I always think of it as a contraction of invisible panty line. Do you remember those commercials yeah. for, do you remember what they were for? Because I'm looking at it right now on YouTube. Were they for? Um, Underalls. Uh, Underalls. 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 I was thinking they were for like nylons. What the heck? Underalls? Are they underwear? Well, they were also, it's spin up Slenderalls, which I imagine were some like kind spanks? of- Some kind of 70s spanks, spanks, yeah. Interesting. Underalls. I, I just remember the commercials because I remember the, the you know- TV commercials then and now are famous for creating problems that you didn't know existed and right. didn't need correcting. Right. But I certainly, as a 12-year-old in 1978, looking at this Underalls commercial, didn't realize or even understand what uh, visible or invisible panty lines were or how they were corrected by these uh, Underalls. But but anyway. And it's not a thong, right? It's a, like, is it like a well, they would just, spandex they would just, they would just show. Thing? I mean, it, it was just Hard uh, to tell. zooming in on... on 
on a woman's rear end. Yeah. And then showing panty lines versus non panty lines. And then, (laughs) um, uh, I also always associate those with another 1970s thing that was in commercials for women, which was L apostrophe eggs, legs, Uh, like the pantyhose that came in an egg. Isn't that what that was? Yeah. It's funny because I, I I have recently watched Mad Men, which I hadn't watched uh, prior to that. And there's actually an episode where one of the things they're talking about are the pantyhose that come in an egg. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I think they- uh, And I always associate the pantyhose that come in an egg with Pringles also. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why either. I don't think anyone else does. Well, let's get to viewer mail, shall we? Let's get to viewer mail. Our first viewer mail comes from uh, Kelly in Connecticut. Hey, Kelly. Kelly writes, uh, happy 2024, Rebecca and Steve. Happy, happy 2024. 2024. Last week's conversation about let's make a deal and purse treasures made me think of my mother's purse and my favorite item, a perpetual calendar photo below. Indeed, there is a photo below of a of a steel gadget where you can kind of rotate the months and dates to create a perpetual calendar. Oh, that's super interesting. And days of the week as well. Uh, her father worked at Bullard Machine Tool in Bridgeport to celebrate their 75th anniversary in 1955. The company provided metal perpetual calendars, a small metal dial used to determine the day of the week on any of any day without needing a paper calendar. This is 1955, pre-Google. There's a 31-day calendar in the upper section and seven columns in the lower section that list the months. The cutout above the calendar displays days of the week, and one below the month columns displays the year. Uh, to determine the day of the week of, let's say, Metropolitan Stadium in Minneapolis's opening, April 24, 1956, spin the dial to line up the 56 below the column that includes April. Voila, the stadium opened on a Tuesday. Cool. That's really cool. The one on the left was always in my mother's purse. It was a special treat to be able to use the calendar to figure out the day of the week my parents or celebrities were born. I'd also figure out the day of the week when I would turn 16 or 18 or 21. I couldn't go much further than that because the perpetual calendar stopped in. So this calendar that operated in perpetuity in 1955 stopped in 1982. It's still pretty good. I mean, it is pretty good, but it it does make you feel old when when time stopped uh, 42 years ago. Thanks for bringing me back to fond childhood memories of this treasure from my mom's purse. I thought it was magic. It looks magic. Why uh, don't they have them for sale? Someone must be selling one on eBay somewhere. P. Uh, that's a good good uh, point. We'll check it out. P.S. Rebecca lived in Watson Hall at UConn. Is that correct? Yeah. Ben? Watson four twenty two. I writes Kelly lived next door in Belden a few in italics a few years earlier. Moved in the first year these two dorms went co-ed. Yeah, I think it was 422, but I was in the same dorm room my four years at UConn. The, the Watson dorm is still there. Uh, my teammate Pam Weber and I were uh, were roommates our, our full four years. We never moved off campus. I didn't have a car, so it didn't make sense for me to move off campus. It was not like it was a couple hundred yards from Campbell. It was right across the street from McMahon, which had the cafeteria that had the later hours. So we that's where most of the athletes would eat. But um yeah, fond memories of Watson. You're in 422, not room 222. I think it was. Uh, I think it was 422. It was definitely fourth floor. Fourth floor girls' floor. Third and fifth were boys' floors. Dear Rebecca and Steve, writes Christina, our resident orthopedic surgeon. Your recent podcast where Steve didn't have cash for a tip reminded me of another time when it was inconvenient to be short on dollar bills. Like Rebecca, we don't typically carry a lot of cash. 
Rebecca's like the president or the queen, queen of England in that regard. Right? Yes, just like that. Yeah. A few years ago, we were on vacation with another family, four parents, six kids, when one of the kids lost a tooth. It was late at night, and we were in a remote location. All the parents checked their wallets, and lo and behold, the tooth fairy was able to find the child and leave a $20 bill. Much to the consternation of their sibling and the other children who had only received a dollar per tooth at home. Fortunately, we were able to explain that the Tooth Fairy had a policy of paying more for teeth lost on vacation. I thought you were going to say they were paying for the entire mouth in advance, the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> that would have been our, our Tooth Fairy's move. Thanks to the podcast, your resident orthopedic surgeon, Christina. Uh, P.S. I find it amusing to hear you to re refer to the beloved DGS and recently Susie the pediatrician as a resident as they both finished their residencies, the three to six year training period after medical school, many years ago. Back in the day, these physicians in training often lived in the hospital, thus they were resident physician surgeons. Once you have finished your residency, training, and perhaps an additional one to three years of fellowship training, you become the attending physician. Not certain of the terms of a podcast residency. Well, Rebecca, I think now that we're a few years into this podcast, maybe some of our residents who, who, who have been with us for three or four years should become the uh, should become the attending such and such of the podcast. What do you think? Maybe. All right, Damien, our resident, uh, perhaps attending, a men's ice hockey coach. Oh, hello, St. Michael's. At St. Michael's, yep. Writes, I wore my St. Michael's shirt two days ago, maybe? Well, funny you should say that. Dear Rebecca and Steve, Coach D here is, Coach D here is signing in. Uh, I trust that since it's the middle of January, the Lobo Russian family are decked out in their St. Mike's hockey gear, huddled around the computer every Friday and Saturday night, cheering on the Purple Knights. Well, I think Rebecca just answered in the affirmative. That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. I couldn't help but write in after listening to your last pod. Being the parents of two high school-aged athletes, there's nothing, and I mean nothing, that elicits more panic in us than approaching that folding table, small box of cash, and light blue tickets sitting atop said table and realizing, oh crap, I don't have any cash on me. This has happened numerous times in our sports parenting lives, and we have used all kinds of excuses of getting into the game. In fact, this happened just recently at a hockey rink in Montpelier, Vermont, when we had to borrow $5 from a teammate's parent to get into the game after driving 45 minutes to get there. I, for one, usually try to talk my way past the gatekeepers at various arenas or fields, while my wife, the much more honest and morally centered of the two, insists on finding a way to pay no matter what. I think she'd volunteer to sell hot dogs or clean up after the game as payment to get in. Up here in the Great White North, we have not moved to the app-based tickets, but I hope it's on the way. Last night, I went to uh, our daughter's basketball game where I think in previous years it was strictly app-based and, yeah. and, and now it was cash only. Yeah. That reminds me because tonight I'm going to watch our daughter play at an away gym. You are going to watch our son play at the home gym, but I, the way that the start times are staggered, I will be able to get to um, our son's game. And this isn't doesn't need to be said for the podcast, but I'm saying it before I forget. Please, um, just in case the boys game sells out, please, when you get there, buy a ticket for me and just tell them I'll be coming later. You got it. I'll, I'll do Thank that you. for you. All right. Um, and of course, snow and sleet may scuttle all of that anyway. Um, my idea, writes uh, Coach D would be to charge each parent an extra $25 a year as a participation fee and get rid of ticketing altogether, but I understand the issues around this as well. There's no perfect solution, but your story about racing out to help your brother-in-law elicited a laugh for sure. You know uh, what actually our homeschool has is you, you we can get season tickets. You can purchase a season ticket at the beginning of the season. Um, well, obviously that's what you do, but uh, or you can even purchase now for the rest of the games, but there's just so many times where I won't be there. It wasn't going to make sense for me. Right. 
I continue to appreciate and be amazed by your continued homage to the minutia of life. Keep it up, writes Coach D. In closing, I have not had the opportunity to convey my heartfelt condolences to you and to DGS's family on his passing. I was, in fact, driving home from my son's hockey game one evening when I heard the news on the podcast. It got me to thinking about this. Imagine the immense amount of joy that DGS brought to moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and future best friends. I am also quite sure that with his knowledge and expertise in his field, DGS most likely saved saved a number of lives in his time as well, both moms and newborns alike. Anyway, just another way to remember and think about a man who surely gave more than he took in his lifetime. Well said, Coach D. Until next time, go Knights. We second that. Rebecca? Yes. Go Knights. Uh, finally, he, uh, Coach D adds in a second email, um, a dollar ninety nine. I believe I have the ninety nine secured safely inside this rubber purse I carry for just such occasions. And he's uh, oh, sends the a blue tw- one. That's the one. That's yes. the one that looks like the one my father had. He's passing along a tweet from uh, from Super Seventies at Super Seventies Sports on Twitter. My uh, acquaintance Ricky Cobb. So I, uh, of course, he he's all over the uh, vinyl coin purse, squeeze purse, right? And that segues right into Myra, BNC completionist, who writes, Hi, Rebecca and Steve, another BNC podcast, another nostalgic memory. It never ceases to amaze me that your random conversations keep hitting on relatable things that conjure up some little memory. I am the proud owner, writes Myra, of two vintage oval squeeze purses, complete with multiple beaded keychains. And in fact, here are here here they are, Rebecca. Uh, Classic. Perfect. One yes. green, one red, right? Yes. Uh, I happened uh, several years ago while looking for something else. I happened upon them. I didn't remember saving them and have no idea why I did. But since they'd survived for so long, I couldn't part with them. I thought I had come up with a perfect practical modern use and loaded each with the dollar ninety toll required, the dollar ninety toll required to enter Illinois on I ninety with one of them as a backup in case I tossed a wild pitch on the first try while aiming for the coin basket. We would always enter Illinois on um, uh, the drive from Minnesota uh, via the uh, Northwest Toll Road, and you know. And you had to pitch the coins into oh the gosh, into the, the toll basket. For us, going to Cape Cod or going to visit my grandparents, my mom's parents in Medfield, Massachusetts, um, on the Mass Pike, and th- th- my parents sometimes would have it planned out the change for each toll. They knew exactly how much it was, and yeah, my just my dad reaching out the window and tossing it in. Um, but there were sometimes those frantic moments, like where one of the coins fell on the floor or whatever, and then the whole system was disrupted. You might have to pay with a bill or couldn't go through the exact change uh, line anymore. But uh, just I can picture my dad hand out the window and the way he tossed the coins into the basket. Well, you and I in our surreal lives had dinner one night with George Plimpton. Yes, we did. And and if memory serves, and it doesn't serve so well anymore – he he had a, he had a Boston Celtics uh, championship watch, you know, yes. the equivalent of a of a championship ring, and it fell off on a snowy night when he was pitching coins into uh, a basket on the Mass Pike. Yes, that's right. Oh my gosh, your memory is much better than mine. But do you remember that he yes. told us that story. I yes, mean, I, and I was just I was having an out of body experience at the time, yeah. and and so I was trying to remember it. Um, I drive this route on cold winter weather when my pitching arm hasn't had a chance to warm up, writes Myra. And then COVID, the pandemic hit, and the toll booths with their coin baskets were no longer used. Another one of my brilliant ideas down the drain. However, the squeeze purses are still in my car, so if I ever need exactly $3.80 in change, I'm ready. Thanks for continuing to provide these amusing looks at little life experiences. It's always fun to wait and see what will pop up next, Myra BNC completionist. And in fact, um, the aforementioned 
brother-in-law, Jason Lobo, who who didn't have the money to get into the basketball game the other night, also texted me because he catches up on the podcast on his drives to work. Uh, and these appear as non sequiturs, but then I realized, oh, he's just listened to the podcast. He texted me that I remember those oval squeeze coin purses and 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 how they smelled like when you when you uh, clamp them onto your nose. So I, I was glad that I wasn't the only sicko who who would uh, clamp them onto onto my nose. Yes. Uh, Maggie still in Seattle and still not comfortable driving in the snow. Writes, uh, Hey, Maggie. Hi, Ball and Chain. The story Rebecca told about helping Andrea clear off her car during a Connecticut snowstorm reminded me of a similar situation I found myself in 25 years ago, also in Connecticut. At the time, I worked as an editor editor for ESPN.com, but we were based in the Seattle area. I'd never been to stores for a game and flew out to cover the UConn-Tennessee matchup on January 10th, 1999. When I got to Hartford, it was snowing and a bit icy. Being from the Pacific Northwest, I'm not accustomed to driving in that type of weather and was a bit hesitant as I rode the shuttle bus to the rental car lot. It was also the NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend, so former Buffalo Bills quarterback Jim Kelly, who was doing studio work for ESPN at the time, happened to be picking up his rental car at the exact same time. I asked him if he was driving to the hotel across from the ESPN campus in Bristol and if I could follow him, letting him know I wasn't used to the weather. Thankfully, he agreed. And while his car was warmed up and waiting for him, he still came outside and helped me clear my car of snow and ice, then led me through the storm. I'll never forget his kindness towards me, and my mom still loves to tell that story, calling Jim my guardian angel. How sweet. Incredible. I mean, it would have been even sweeter if he said, why don't you just ride with me? Well, I mean, she had the rental (laughs) car. But she probably needed the rental car. Jim Kelly as your lead blocker. That's pretty sweet. And about that Huskies versus Lady Vols game, Tennessee upset top-ranked UConn 92-81 for the huge road win. Sorry, Rebecca. Stay safe and warm. Maggie, still in Seattle, still not comfortable driving in the snow. I get to see Maggie sometimes when I'm uh, out in the summertime doing Seattle Storm games. Hello, Receiver writes Tim. Uh, thanks for the opening ongoing pods and the nods to all things mod and not so mod. For example, Brady Bunch trivia and such. This is Tim, longtime viewer, current completionist, and past Midstreamer. One, Steve, I'm really sorry to read and hear about the- Past ap- Midstreamer? I, I, that's a urological <laughs> it reference, It does sound like not? a urological problem, yes. Uh, Steve, I'm really sorry to read and hear about the apparent demise of Sports Illustrated. I, 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 as I say, um, if, it, if, if it has uh, expired, it's news to me, but right. that doesn't mean- a lot of things have been news to me that have been news. I grew up as a subscriber and looked forward to Faces in the Crowd, the sign of the apocalypse, invented by Jack McCallum, by the way, Rebecca. The numerous previews and reviews really? and coverage Jack? Yeah, and, okay. and covers of all things sports. Your contributions, as well as the many talented columnists and photographers on the SI staff over the years, will be sorely missed. I kept stacks of SI magazines for multiple years and used them as sports encyclopedias and photographic archives to recall iconic moments. Do you have a suggestion for us old readers for a current publication that can begin to fill the void? Well, um, Impossible, first of all. Yeah, and when SI was a, a weekly, put, putting publishing 51 issues a year, um, there were probably 150 pages in those magazines, in a weekly magazine. Obviously, a lot of them were ads, but... Um, you know, you could find a story on not just, the, you know, the news of last week, um, but, you know, 2,000 words on whatever the big baseball series of the of the previous weekend had been, but also just, you know, Franz Lids on writing about Jeopardy or something, you know, some 
delightful surprises in there as well. Last night when I was working in studio for women's college basketball, um, someone who works at ESPN, <clears throat> who I don't see all that frequently, um, but he came down and he was talking about SI. And he said, you know, were you ever in faces in the crowd? Because you mentioned yeah. signs of the apocalypse. And I can remember when I was in high school, um, I would that's the first place, because my dad would get Sports Illustrated, that's the first place I would turn every week wondering like, you know, are you going to be? Am I going to be in faces in the crowd? And I can remember one of my um, one of my acquaintances from high school basketball who lived in Tennessee or Virginia or somewhere else. She was in there, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder if I'll ever get in there." Not realizing, like, you had to submit them. My parents or someone yeah. or my coach or somebody had to had submit one, that one, they weren't just going to discover that there was a kid one in of Massachusetts. The, yeah, well, of course, though, one of the keys to faces in the crowd was was the face and they had to have a you know a, of course almost like a passport photo yeah, and you didn't have somebody scouring the, right. the local and, papers and, for a high school <laughs> and when but of course that that's what i thought as a kid as well and and when um i started out the first several weeks at the magazine as a fact checker on a three-month you know job you would fact check the faces in the crowd and and so you would get this file with the mugshot and uh, the uh whatever information people had sent in, usually a high school or a parent, or sometimes it was just a guy sent, this is a kid in our town, and here's a clip from the paper. And then you would get on the phone with uh, that kid or the parent or the coach and verify the information. Somebody had written a little thumbnail, you know, to fit the space of the faces in the crowd. But, I mean, and I just remember that first month or so, the summer of 1988, uh, uh, Amy Nutt, who I shared a little cubicle office with for a couple of those months on the phone, fact-checking uh, uh, Ragib and Quadri Ismail, twin brothers. Oh, yeah. Rocket Ismail, of yeah. course. And and uh, these and, and just a, a bunch of names that went on to college or professional and or professional stardom, but uh, who were faces in the crowd during that summer of – of fact checking and um, it's Sports Illustrated wrote an article. Um, Rick Tellender in Sports Illustrated wrote an article on me my senior year at UConn. He came and he went to classes with me. He hung out. Anyway, you mentioning fact check fact checking made me think of that because I remember having a call not from Rick but for some from yeah. someone else. And they is this accurate? Is this accurate? Did you say this? Boom! Like you know. It was a lengthy. It, it was how I kind of got an idea of what the article was going to be about. Yeah. Was all the things they right. a- asked me, and I just remember at the time being fascinated by wow, you know, because newspapers obviously didn't do right. that; they couldn't. Um, right. At how diligent Sports Illustrated was um, in terms of getting the story right and getting the facts right. Oh, we still do it, um, and I did it for two years. B, Rebecca, I've been following NCAA women's basketball more closely this year due to an interest in the Indiana program and freshman uh, Lene Beaumont. Am I pronouncing that cor- correctly, Rebecca? One of my coworkers is her dad. Oh, Looks like cool. IU is strong-ish but has been trounced a couple of times by Stanford and then by Iowa on national TV. Any thoughts on why the Hoosiers aren't as competitive with the top-tier teams this year? Um, you're, I think you're probably immersed in whatever game you're doing Thursday, but um, Rebecca – I'll I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, Indiana is an interesting team because they lost Grace Berger to the WNBA. Um, she was a fifth year senior a year ago and such an important leader for them, but have returned experience, including um, Mackenzie Holmes. It, it's funny because um, you know sometimes it doesn't matter the level of basketball. I was just talking to my eighth grade team about this um, 
the other day, like we got great shots. Sometimes they just don't go in. And in two, uh, in Indiana's two big losses, one was against Stanford, who is a really, really good team who's who's capable of scoring a lot of points. And against Iowa, one of the top scoring teams in the country, um, Indiana simply was not able to make shots in particular from the three point line. And it's such an important piece of what anyone does, um, but especially for them. And, uh, you know, they just were not great on those nights uh, making shots from the perimeter and, and defensively. Both teams did a good job of um, making Mackenzie Holmes a little less efficient on the interior than she typically is but um but the big 10 is a great conference the pac-12 is a great conference um so certainly no shame in either of those losses but uh but yeah not only do you need to get good shots but um but you need to make them at a at a pretty good clip to uh to beat teams who can score as well as both iowa and uh stanford can so tim's email was three-pronged one B, and now Roman numeral three. All right. Roman numeral three is so. Is Denny really Denny with one N? Because then it's really deny. And us old-time viewers remember that Denny went to the left coast to write the all-American best-selling screenplay or something. What's the update on that? Will Denny ever be in basement again? Take care and keep smiling. Thanks for all the good, clean fun, Tim. Well, funny you should say that, Tim, because I had a long conversation yesterday with Denny. Don't give any spoilers. I'm not giving any spoilers. Okay. Um, but... The upshot of it was uh, he hasn't been in basement in it, it could be years now, Rebecca. It's been, a long it's time been way too long, and yes. so um, that and and he, yes, he has plenty of news, plenty of news to share. So we have to get him in basement uh, at the earliest opportunity, and um, and uh, I hope that will be in the next couple of weeks, and then Denny can share his news because it's not my news to share. Uh, let's see. Got a couple more here. John writes, uh, dear Mrs. Ball, Mr. Ball and Mrs. Chain, or if you prefer vice versa, greetings from your Cape Cod correspondent. Hello. I was just down yesterday visiting my folks. As you might expect, it's a little quiet in Falmouth this time of year. Kind of nice actually without all the tourists, but it was a little chilly. So perhaps they're just smarter than I am. I was perusing my Boston Globe sports page Sunday. I ran across an excellent article by Chad Finn, sports media guy for the Globe. I know Chad regarding the possible demise of Sports Illustrated. I agree wholeheartedly with his premise that it will be a very sad day if SI actually does go under. I can remember many Thursdays when I would be anxiously awaiting the mail so I could get my hands on the latest issue. The writing was always superb and there was a perfect mix of visual and written content. If it does go under, it will be sorely missed. Anyway, one line in Chad's article caught my attention. Quote, for all of the inimitable voices SI gave its appreciative readers, Jenkins, DeFord, Riley, Russian, Montville, uh, and uh, John writes, now I know that when someone puts together their Mount Rushmore for some particular category, it's usually for name. It's usually four names, but I have to say that's a pretty good murderer's row of writers, and I was happy to see Steve was included in it, and rightly so. Well, thank you, John, and thank you, Chad Finn and The Globe. Like I said, Sports Illustrated has always had a wonderful cadre of writers, and I would put those five up against any list anywhere. Much appreciated, John. Thank you. As an aside to your viewers, listeners, if you Google articles by Steve Russian, Sports Illustrated, you'll get a treasure trove, writes John, of nice. content to enjoy. A few other random thoughts regarding relatively recent episodes. Like the entire ball and chain community, writes John, I was saddened by the news of Dr. Siegel's passing. He was such an integral part of the weekly repartee and will be missed. I think Dr. Siegel and Rebecca would also appreciate the French uh, repartee. Yes. Uh, I have enjoyed hearing various family members check in and love how uh, that is keeping his legacy alive. 
Regarding your discussion about Rebecca running into walking past Wanda Sykes, I enjoyed the back and forth about the story Steve made up about Rebecca's anxiously asking for an autograph. It reminded me of my dad, who's always believed that there isn't a story that can't be made a little better with some or often a lot of embellishment. <laughs> Rebecca, your comment about it quote, not being real reminded me of Harry and Dumbledore in King's Cross Station at the end of the Harry Potter Chronicles. Harry asked Dumbledore, and I'm paraphrasing, Professor, is this all in my head or is it real? And Dumbledore replied, of course it's all in your head, Harry, but why does that mean it isn't real? Such a wonderful thought from Dumbledore and great comment on using one's imagination. John recently watched a Morgan Freeman movie called The Magic of Belle Isle. Morgan played a disgruntled old writer who gets pulled out of his shell by a young neighbor girl. He expresses a similar sentiment to Dumbledore. It's a real nice watch. I should watch that, Rebecca, as a disgruntled old writer. Yes, you should. Being pulled out of his shell by a, a younger woman. Yes, there you go. Or being driven deeper into his shell. Your discussion of cold cross-country runs brought me back to my freshman year in high school. I was a skinny cross-country runner who just enjoyed running. About halfway through the season, in mid-October, we had a crisp fall day to run our race in. Per usual, we walked the course before the race and then all gathered around the starting line. I standing... I standing there kind of chilly in my sweats when the starter announced five minutes to the start. All around me, guys started pulling off their sweats and I'm thinking to myself, what the heck? It's freezing out here. Are you guys crazy? Fortunately, I kept my thoughts to myself and followed suit. The race started and after a cold half mile or so, I warmed up nicely and found I was just fine. In a nice touch, at the end of the race, instead of the usual popsicle sticks, each runner was given a styrofoam cup with their place written on the bottom. Yeah, I know. We were pretty high tech back then. And we could redeem the cup at the scorer station for a nice hot cup of bullion. <laughs> bullion, huh? This was this was like uh, uh, this was run in in a like it's a like pirate's uh, salt. I wonder if yeah. it was chicken or beef. Yeah, I, I mean, they, perhaps they had both Maybe at the big races. Get to choose. Anyway, I was a dedicated runner for another 40 years or so after that until my knees gave out, and I always loved running year-round in any kind of weather. Over the years, I tended to dress more appropriately, but nothing beat a run on a cool, crisp autumn day in New England. I think your dad would second that, Rebecca. Uh, Steve and Rebecca, please keep up the great work at BNC. I'm afraid I can't take credit for being a completionist, but I am a long-time listener, and I think I can safely uh, uh, be considered to be a loyalist. John, I like that, a loyalist. It, it sounds kind of- uh, Would he be a resident loyalist, or would he be a- um, Paramilitary loyalist? I don't know. No, These, the, no, no. The, the... Oh, 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 he would be a uh, uh, practicing, is it? No, um, I've already forgotten. What the what is after resident? You're a what practitioner? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. He, Didn't write he, it down. He would be he would be a resident practitioner. <laughs> I cannot believe. I can believe. We have both forgotten it. Well, finally, um, uh, obviously, DGS has the cleanup spot. In, there are people in their car yelling, or wherever they listen to the podcast, uh, yelling. What? It of course, be. they are, and and good so for thank them. You. Yeah. Um, Dr. Siegel has the cleanup spot in perpetuity. And, and when I say in perpetuity, I mean in actual perpetuity and not the 1982 perpetuity of the perpetual right. calendar. Right. But in the um, in, in our final, uh, uh, what would you call this, Rebecca? The a sheaf? of Dr. Siegel. Yes, a, a sheaf of your mail? Sheaf, I don't know. How many pages is it? Six. Oh, well, it's not. It's six separate viewer, viewers mail right. from the same correspondent from uh, Susie, our resident, but whatever, beyond resident, is pediatrician. Right. Good. We can remind people Susie is like 
watching or listening. She's listening, binge uh, listening, binge listening yes. much as I did during COVID-24, the pandemic. And, and no, uh, COVID-24, so, the, what did you call nuns it? Nuns on the run. Thank you. That's right. Um, so as, as, as thoughts strike her, she sends us a viewer mail. So I've, I've compiled these viewers mail from Susie. They're, they're all wonderful. Read them and, and I will hit highlights from each of the, each of the, okay, because I can't read all the entirety of all six of them. I have read all of them to myself and, and love them and appreciate them. But uh, on the air, I'll read snippets. the sheaf into a one male. No? One sheaf. Reduce the sheaf to one male. Sheaves to yes. one sheaf. <laughs> uh, still, sheaf. Binging, still binging to catch up, writes Susie, the pediatrician. Episode 178, when Steve was waiting four plus hours for AAA. I remember that all too well. And he and the teens flipped each other off. I was a long-term runner. <laughs> what? About you forgot? I know. I was a long-term runner before brain tumor. You may recall uh, Susie's previous emails. If a car came close to us when we ran in the winter, we would do a mitten flip. <laughs> However, when the weather got warmer, we termed this the mittenless mitten flip. <laughs> I like that. Uh, episode 179, Hannah mentioned the benefit of Connecticut College was that it wasn't UConn. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and we had T-shirts that said, not Penn State. Looking forward to more episodes and still hoping for some swag. I didn't send swag. I will do that this week, Susie. Okay. If you've listened to enough episodes, Susie, you know he won't be sending him this no, week, I will, but he will, I will have all will, the will, good intentions I, I, to do I, I, that. I'm going to do that. Uh, Susie, in another email, writes, first, my dimensions. Remember Myra the Librarian? was talking about issues of being short. First, mm -hmm. my dimensions. I am- I forgot you, you what guessed. people used to send in their you, dimensions. Right, you guessed from, from Susie's email, her Susie's dimensions. Susie's a runner. Susie's a pediatrician. Yeah. I'm going to say Susie- Like speaking eye to eye to her patients. <laughs> I'm going to say Susie's in the world of 5'7". I'm about five feet nothing tall. Uh, with, well, I'm going to say positive wingspan. With, I assume, a similar wingspan and a petite build. Not only that, I have an incredibly small head. <laughs> it is average size for a two-year-old. <laughs> Which she would know. I mean, there's so much great stuff in here and, and, and the issues that about being short. Um, but but I, I just want to get through these emails because uh, there's so much wisdom in here. I also love how both of you exude so much joy and pleasure when discussing your children, writes Susie. Nothing makes a pediatrician happier. I also took great pleasure in my patient's accomplishments. You both have done a great job, as have your pa parents before you, in creating wonderful memories for them. I always ask this question, particularly to fathers. Think back to your 18-year-old self. Could you have ever expected to enjoy having kids and parenting so much? Question mark. Steve? Question mark. I couldn't Would have imagined- Would your 18-year-olds have had any idea how hard parenting is and how many challenging moments there I, are? I, I couldn't have little. imagined having, having kids. And so, no, this is the whole thing. I mean- I go back to the previous email about Dumbledore. Is this all in my head? If so, it, I mean, it, it it has been a dream. I could not have imagined it. You know, it's interesting. Yesterday, when I was again, when I was at ESPN, one of my colleagues is pregnant, and um, and so we were just talking about you know that she's pregnant with her first. And um, after she left the room, we were in the makeup room. After she left the room, one of the makeup artists who has uh, two children, a twenty three year old and a twenty year old. Twenty three year old is a police officer. Twenty year old is is in college. Um, said to me, she's like, I would go back and do it all again in a heartbeat if I could. Um, she's like, not to change anything, just to live it. <clears throat> and I said to her, 
I said, I am loving where I am right now in the the ages that the kids are right now and how, you yeah. know, how things have changed. I said, but you ask me, I said, in four years when my youngest is, or five years, the youngest is off to college, yeah. I will probably be thinking what you're thinking now. Like it, I wouldn't hate going back right. and, and doing and, all and, this And again. it'd be incredible if you go back with the knowledge right. and experience that, that you have now. I guess, you know, grandparenting, that's what that's all about. Rebecca writes, Susie, love that your father was so involved in youth running. Uh, first, uh, the reason for the snooze alarm, writes Susie, regarding episode 198, um, you may need to go back to sleep to finish your dream. Mm, that's true. I've been able to do that. So have you ever woken up from a good dream and then you're happy that you but then, can go but, back to the, sleep the, and But finish? then you have to like hit the rewind 10 seconds button to kind of pick up where you'd left off. <laughs> no, like when, when you're watching something on streaming and you can like skip. Yeah, the right, recap. exactly. I, I know that, um, yeah, my dreams have ads. I find that's weird. <laughs> I can't skip them. Uh, I went to a lecture about sleep many years ago, writes Susie, and the speaker stated that if you needed an, any alarm at all, then you didn't get enough sleep. Clearly, he was young and inexperienced with the urging of most bladders. I mean, seriously, who? Like, but the alarm really how is. How many times a year are people actually able to to wake up just because they wake up? Well, I would say I wake up. Sleeping. I wake up almost always. Wake up ahead of the alarm in anticipation of the alarm, even if the alarm is set for four a.m. for a, for a flight or something. But that's not because you've had enough sleep. That's because you're the anticipating. Anticipation the, yeah, of the alarm. that's true. I'm currently on episode 210, writes Susie, when you were discussing Kojak reruns and the impending sadness of sending your firstborn to college. This brought back two memories of my own father. One, he has a definite man, he has a definite man crush on Kojak, so much so that he started fully shaving his head while already mostly bald and started eating Tootsie Pops, which was a definite improvement over his chain-smoking cigars. Two, he drew the short straw for college pickup after my freshman year. He told me to have everything outside of the dorm by 8.30 a.m. and that he would throw out anything that we couldn't fit into the car. Sounds good. Efficient. Uh, this is just incredible. We had talked about Phil Rizzuto leaving Yankee broadcast early to get across the George Washington Bridge and go home. I actually grew up living around the corner from the scooter. He was great. He would always do up his house for Halloween and was the only one to give out full-size candy bars. He also gave out signed baseballs to the first kids. Unfortunately, I never got there early enough. When I was about eight, my cousin and I walked to his house, knocked on the door, and asked for his autograph. We were welcomed in and waited by the trophy room as he went upstairs to get some picture postcards that he signed for us. Of course, my mother threw it away when she cleaned my room that summer when I was at sleepaway camp. Don't do this either. Uh, Susie read Stingray Afternoons and is currently enjoying Nights in White Castle. Loved them both. Hoping for a third in the series to come out soon. So, but imagine that, Rebecca. Growing up near Scooter Rizzuto and getting, I mean, the we early kids. We need to save the rest of the sheaf for next week. Okay. Aren't you in on a time yes, crunch? Yes, I actually am on a time crunch. So I'm, well, we will, I, I love though this kind of walk down uh, yes, so do I. podcasting. Line. So we'll save the last couple for next week. I'm going to tear these off now. And uh, so I, so I bookmark my dream here and, um, and yes, I, I gotta, I gotta get on a, uh, something called a webinar. I don't know what it is either. So, um, I do, um, but. Denny, thank you as always. Hope to see you Hope soon. Hope to see you soon. Tom Dick Hari, play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fat. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. 
Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.